Many years ago in Philadelphia, there was a little third-class hotel. And one night late, it was after midnight, um, in walked a, a well-dressed and elderly couple. They went up to the night clerk and the husband spoke and he, he simply said, Mr., Please do not tell me that you guys are full tonight. Please do not tell me that you're full. My wife and I have been all over this city. We didn't know about the conventions that are in town. We have tried and looked to find a room. Everywhere is full. Please do not tell me that you are full tonight. And he, he, this night clerk looked at this couple and they just looked exhausted, haggard. I mean, they were dressed well, but clearly they'd had a rough evening. He said, well, sir, it is true. I don't have a single room available uh, in the hotel, but, and they kind of leaned in. (laughs) He said, the hotel graciously allows me to have a room here. I work at night, sleep during the day. Um, I'd be happy for you guys to stay in my room tonight. I don't need it. I'm going to be here at the desk. Uh, it, it's not fancy, but it's, it's clean. And it's yours tonight if you'd like it. <laughs> you could see the guy just kind of went, <sighs> you know. And this little lady just looked at him. She said, son, thank you so much. God bless you. Now there's more to this story. I'll finish it later. But I want to thank you for being here today and ask you to open your Bibles to Genesis 22. Genesis chapter 22 is where we're going to be. Thanks for being with us today, both those on site and those watching online. Uh, Grateful that uh, you made the right decision on the first Sunday of the year to be in church. Thankful for that. Uh, Again, a lot going on. Busy time here at Chapel Rock. Check your bulletin. Uh, Again, we have 2020 tonight, as as Tommy mentioned, uh, and... um, the FPU is starting soon, so there's a, there's a deadline to sign up for that, pay attention to that. But we're going to be in Genesis 22 today. I'm starting a new series this morning called Three Day Stories, and I'll, I'll tell you more about that in a little bit. Uh, I'm starting it, I'm not going to finish it. <laughs> uh, I'll leave that task for our other very capable uh, staff members. At the end of the day Thursday, uh, I will start the first leg of the sabbatical time that uh, the elders very graciously allow our staff to have. For every seven years of service here, you're allowed 13 weeks of sabbatical. I'm taking that in two chunks this year. The first leg, a three-week section, uh, starts basically Friday. Um, and I'm very grateful for the generosity of the elders that allows us to do that. It, it, it's very meaningful. Um, not long, uh, I mean, we're coming up on about uh, 25 years in full-time ministry for me with, without this. And so I'm, I'm eagerly looking forward to it, have been for a while. Um, I have a friend named Roger that runs a retreat center for pastors out in northwest Montana. Um, I actually met him in Bible college. He was a, he'd been a pharmacist for 10 years, got called into ministry. Uh, so we were in Bible college together. He's a little older than I am. Uh, and then we reconnected on our trip to Israel last year. He was on that trip. And it was really cool, and we are talking about what that might look like. And so he runs this place called Peaceful Pause. Let me show you a picture of where I'm going. Um, maybe. Yeah, right. Imagine. <laughs> I don't know. We had some pictures. Uh, just, do you remember, did you see The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? 
it looks like Narnia, okay? I mean, it's, <laughs> it really does. It's, it's Narnia in the winter, mountains. There we go. Uh, so this place is called uh, the Valley of the Hush because there is no cell coverage at all. Here's another shot. Um, and, and so that's where I'll be for a while, like just completely disconnecting from everything and, and really just spending some time in Jesus' lap. Uh, I, I'm, I'm excited about that. been looking forward to it. I will be back in time uh, to celebrate Chapel Rock's 60th birthday. So Sunday, February 4th, uh, the first Sunday in February uh, was the day, it was actually the second in 1964 that Chapel Rock held her first worship service. And so uh, we're going to celebrate that. We're going to have a birthday party, a very special morning plan. So I'll be back just in time for that. Uh, we want you to put that on your calendar. We're going to have a great day. And we'll, we'll touch on it throughout the year. I don't, some of you all, I know you do this because I see your social media. You don't have a birthday. You have a birthday month. Like you celebrate the whole month long or a birthday week or something. Don't point. I can see it. Don't point. Um, <laughs> so we'll, we'll celebrate through the whole year uh, Chapel Rock's 60th birthday, but we'll, we'll really kick that off uh, on Sunday the 4th. Like I said, we're starting a new series today. Uh, it's called Three Day Stories because I noticed something in my devotions that I, I it was kind of a, just a thread I wanted to pull on. Um, and by the way, first Sunday of the new year, I hope you've got a plan to read through the Bible this year. Maybe not the whole thing, maybe it's just the New Testament, or it's like, I've never read Leviticus, and doggone it, I'm going to do it this year. I don't know, whatever you're thinking. But I hope you've got some kind of plan, some kind of intention uh, to do that. And as I was doing my devotional reading, I just happened to notice this phrase, on the third day, or three days later, or after three, have you noticed that? There's a bunch of stories in the Bible where that phrase pops up. Now, the most notable one, obviously, is the death and resurrection of Jesus, right? He's crucified and raised on the third day. We, we, we hear that phrase. And so because of this central significance of that to our faith, our ears kind of perk up when it gets used in other stories, right? We're like, oh, I know that phrase. That's, I, I remember that, okay? So, um, like I said, I'm going to start it. Our other very capable staff members will carry this series on uh, through this month. Uh, none of us are actually talking about the, the, the death and resurrection specifically so that all of us can, right? We're not doing that one so that we all can. But today, we're going to talk about Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac. There's a time element in that story that I think we forget sometimes. See, God doesn't rush things. We are limited by, bound by time. God exists outside time. Before there was time, there was God. So he can break into time. He can do things in time. But he exists outside it. We, however, are, are tra trapped in it, really. We're, we're in time. We can't get out of it. There's nothing you've ever done in your whole life that's outside time. Now, one day, we will step into eternity. One day we will exist outside time, but in the meantime, we're bound by time, so maybe this time we should pay attention. And there's something in this that I just, it, it stuck out to me when I was reading it recently, and I wanted to share it with you. There's this phrase that gets used in the text sometime later. It gets used in verse 1, it gets used again in verse 20. And really what we're seeing is that this story, the story about Abraham sacrificing Isaac, and many of you probably know that story, 
it kind of exists disconnected from the rest of Abraham's story. It doesn't immediately follow the events of chapter 19. And there's a gap before we read about it. It really kind of sets up what happens like later in chapter 24. It's just, it stands, and really what that's telling us, I think, is that this is the pinnacle of Abraham's story. This is the apex. This is the point of all of it. So let's look at the text together. Genesis 22, starting in verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. Now catch this. On the third day. Have you ever noticed that before? Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. Presumably, he didn't have a lit fire in his hand. He had a flint and tinder and a way to make fire. I think that's what that means. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. The two of them went on together. When they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But an angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba, another three-day trip. And Abraham stayed in Beersheba. This passage makes it clear from the very beginning, this is a test. This is absolutely a test. God is testing Abraham here. He has no intention of letting Abraham carry out that command. But he's testing him with this question. He's asking him, will you still trust me if I take away that which is most precious for you? That's one part of it. But but ultimately what's happening in this passage is that God is asking Abraham a question. He's asking him, will you trust me enough to value your sacrifice more than you do? Will you trust me enough to value your sacrifice more than you? That's our big idea today. Nobody understands sacrifice better than God, and therefore no one values it more than he does. 
So why is this value of our sacrifice important? And when I use the word sacrifice, I'm using it comprehensively. So yes, I'm talking about what we give in the offering here on this first Sunday of the year. Hope you've made a commitment to do that. In as often as God gives you money to make that part of your regular discipleship life. And yes, I'm talking about the way that you use time. We've mentioned time before. And yes, I'm talking about the skill set that God has given you that you can use in service to him. All of those things. And I'm even talking about the, the, the shelf space in your heart. Do you know what I mean when I say that? There's this term out there called caring fatigue. Where you've only got so much space in your heart to care for stuff. Right? And there's, there's a limited amount of shelf space in there to put things that you care about. And, and, and sometimes we wrestle with caring fatigue. And in a world where the news is 24-7, 365, all the time. And you're constantly being bombarded with heaviness. Sometimes deciding what to put on that shelf is, a, is an important decision. And so here at the beginning of the year, to say, I'm, I'm going to spend some time thinking about what I, uh, what I have the care I have for God's things on that shelf and, and deciding to sacrifice that for him too. Now, here's the thing. None of us are being asked to sacrifice like Abraham did. Nobody in this room, no one watching online is being asked to sacrifice like Abraham did. Right? My wife has this saying, this ain't that. Right? This ain't that. What you are being asked to, to give out of love for God is not the same as what Abraham was. No one's asking you to sacrifice your son, your only son, whom you love, okay? So what does this teach us about God valuing our sacrifices? A couple things. Here's the first one. God values a ready heart. God values a ready heart. The first thing Abraham does is he shows he's ready to hear from God. Two times, once in verse 1 and again in verse 11, Abraham says, here I am. That's how the NIV translates it, and it's a good translation, but what it literally says is, behold, it's me. It's, it's a statement of total availability. Behold, it's me. Here I am. Like, like, Abraham lives and has his whole life lived with his yes on the table. Whenever God has spoken to him, the yes, yes, Lord. He's got a long pattern of this because he lives with a li- in a life of readiness. He's just ready to hear from God. And God values that ready heart of Abraham's. In that moment, maybe more than any other, he becomes a paradigm for the people of faith. And it's also important to note that Abraham is just as ready to hear a message from God that he didn't like as to hear the good stuff. Think about this. Up to this point in the text, up to this point in Abraham's story, everything that God had said to him is good. Right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you. I'm going I'm to give you children. I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. I'm going to give this land where you're now living as a sojourner, I'm going to give it to your descendants as a permanent inheritance. Everything God had said to him up to this point was good. And yet now when God says something that's really hard and, and cuts against the grain of everything else God had said to him, what does he do? Does he go like, Oh man, maybe I shouldn't have had that falafel late last night. Like, I don't, it was bad news. I, no. His answer is, behold, it's me. He lives with his yes on the table. God's word to Abraham does not sound good. 
But you've got to listen to the language that God uses because if you're familiar with your New Testament, some of that sounds familiar, doesn't it? God's call to Abraham to sacrifice Isaac is, is very similar in language to what God says about his own son, isn't it? In Matthew chapter 3, 16, it says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love. Same phrase. With him I am well pleased. And we just read it earlier together. For God in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Do you see the similarity here? God's word to Abraham is unmistakable. And he's not slow in obeying God, though he sleeps on it. We assume he sleeps. I don't know. If God told me that, I doubt I'd sleep much that night. See, every other time God commands Abraham to do something, his, his obedience is instantaneous. And it mostly is here. <laughs> it says early the next morning he got up. Now maybe God talked to him late at night. I don't know. Maybe it was a vision or while he dreamt. I, I don't know. It doesn't say. <laughs> but like God's telling him to do something that's completely out of character from the God that he knows and loves. And he's, he has to sleep on it a bit. And yet in the morning when he gets up, immediate obedience got to pack the stuff we got to go see it's been my experience that we are really good at hearing the stuff from God that we like and then when he says stuff we don't like we have struggle with some selective deafness right like we're when God says I want to bless you I want to do something good for you I want to care oh yeah I hear that man I'm going to hold him to it but when he says take up your cross and follow me uh, come again? When he says, sell everything you have, to the, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. What? What? <laughs> when he says, walk before me and be blameless, like he did to Abraham. Uh, come again? <laughs> We're really good at hearing God when he says he's going to bless us. We struggle when it's something hard. So our hearing gets a little selective. But real faith is always ready to hear God no matter what he says. He values that ready heart. It's not just enough to hear. We have to go on and act on what we say. See, there's a phrase that pops up uh, several times in this text. The phrase is burnt offering. It's translating the Hebrew word olah, which probably a better translation would be whole burnt offering. See, here's what the Israelites did. There were some offerings that they would give where they, they, they sacrificed it and the offering was put on the altar. The fire of the altar effectively cooked it or grilled it, barbecued it. And then it was taken off and the family shared a meal with the priest. That was how they, that's how they worshiped. In the Old Testament, worship kind of equals sacrifice. Now, there were other elements to it. There were prayers, there was incense. But worship means you give something. You sacrifice something in the Old Testament. Except this word. This word means you take everything that's clean. They would take the offal. They would take whatever couldn't be washed and made, made clean. And you put it on the altar and you leave it there till it's ash. And the idea is you're giving the whole offering. All of it. It's completely sacrificed. You get nothing out of the deal. 
Everything goes up in smoke to God. That's the word that's used here. That's what God commands Abraham to do with Isaac. So the idea here is every time you see the phrase burnt offering, you need to realize that there is an emphasis on the idea that it's the whole thing. It is totally irrevocable. Abraham doesn't hold anything back from God, not even his own beloved son. Now here's the thing. He had another kid, Ishmael, born 14 years earlier, right? But God said it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. So this idea, when he says your son, your only son, well, there was another. But it wasn't Abraham acting in faith. And and so this is this idea that he's, you're supposed to see a parallel here with God not holding anything in reserve when he sent Jesus. That Jesus didn't hold anything back from his redemptive mission. He fully embraced it. I want you to think for just a second about the parallel between Abraham laying the wood for the sacrifice on Isaac and Jesus taking up his own cross and carrying it to the place of sacrifice, possibly in the very same area of the world. Abraham hears this voice from God and he obeys. He lives with a ready heart. In 1973, the journal Science published an article titled, quote, On Being Sane in Insane Places. And it described an experiment in which eight, and this is their word, fake patients with no history of mental illness went undercover and checked themselves into a few psychiatric hospitals across the United States. All of them had the same complaint. They told the staff there that they regularly heard voices. That's it. Other than that one thing, they had completely normal medical histories. And nonetheless, all of them were diagnosed as schizophrenic, except one who was diagnosed as manic depressive psychosis. They were hospitalized for up to two months and prescribed antipsychotic medications, which they did not swallow. They hid their identities from these people because all of them were researchers. And it was the, the experiment was designed by David Rosenhan, who is a Stanford psychologist and one of the patients. And he found that the single symptom of, quote, hearing voices could suffice for an immediate categorical diagnosis of mental illness. In other words, hearing voices could only have one explanation. You're crazy, at least in the language of 1973. And we've got this story about Abraham hearing a message from God, sacrifice your son, and you hear, we hear that as a modern audience, and we go, yeah, nuts. That's crazy. Well, what happens when God tells you to do something nuts? How do you know if it's him or just that pizza you ate late last night? You live with a ready heart. You lean into that relationship with him and you'll know his voice. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. This had to be so difficult for Abraham. But let me ask you here at the first Sunday of the new year, what if like Abraham, what would your life look like? If you lived with that kind of readiness to hear from God, that expectation that God is going to speak to you, that the voice that you hear in your heart, that's not your own inner monologue, right? It's not you talking to yourself. You know it's a different voice. And if you're here today and there's an area of your life where you're struggling to trust God in, I'm going to guess as someone who's also experienced this in my own walk that there's an area of your life you don't want him speaking to. That there's a corner where Jesus is not allowed to open that door. 
That, no, Jesus, please don't go in that closet. It's not clean. And if you're like, I just don't feel like I've got guidance on this, it may be because there's something you're holding in reserve, unlike Abraham, who was willing to sacrifice anything that God told him to let go of. And maybe for you it's money. Maybe it's a physical appetite, either for food or drink or a drug or even someone else's body. Or maybe it's for position and power. I don't know. But I want to encourage you to imagine what life could look like in 2024 if you held nothing in reserve. We're ready to hear from God and ready to act when he spoke. The world might think you're nuts. But you will have the commendation of Almighty God. And if I have to pick one or the other, I'll go with the latter. And I know that might be scary, but this passage also comes with a promise for us, which we can only receive when we trust God over time. You see, that's the promise. God values our trust in times of testing. God values our trust in times of testing. Dr. Warren Wearsby writes on on this passage in his commentary on the Pentateuch. He writes, our faith is not really tested until God asks us to bear what seems unbearable, to do what seems unreasonable, and to expect what seems impossible. When everything is said and done, Abraham obeyed God. He trusted him through the entire time of the test. That was what I noticed. That was what stood out to me. I guess I'd never really paid attention to it before. He had a three-day trip to doubt, to second-guess, to wonder, did I really hear God right? Is that really what he said? It seems so out of character from everything else I know about him. Did I really hear him right? Three days. I don't know about you, but I can talk myself into or out of just about anything in three days. In three days. To wonder, to doubt, to struggle, to wrestle with this. As far as we know, he keeps God's word that God said about sacrificing Isaac to himself. He doesn't tell Isaac. You know he doesn't tell Sarah. <laughs> She's totally in the dark about this. What are you doing? Um, camping. Um. <laughs> and God trusted, Abraham trusted God through all of it. Now listen, maybe you're here this morning and you're going through some stuff right now and you're, you're sick of it, you're tired of it and you're wrestling with God and you're like, God, are we there yet? Are we, is this done? Are we done? I kind of feel like I'm done. Maybe this is your three-day story. And you're here this morning because God wants you to hear someone say he values your trust in him through the whole test. See, Isaac realizes that they're nearing the place of sacrifice. There's no animal. We don't know how old he was. Some historians think he might have been as old as 25. Josephus thought he was 25. I don't know why. I I, I don't think so, and I'll tell you why. There's a couple details in the text. The text says that Abraham bound his son. He tied him up and then laid him on the altar. Now, I have a son in his 20s. I'm not a hundred. Abraham's over a hundred years old by this point. I don't know how often Abraham went to the gym. I just have a hard time seeing a hundred-year-old dude picking up a hog-tied 25-year-old and laying him on a pile of rocks. I don't know. Maybe Abraham was ripped. 
but I also have a son who's 11. And he's sure smart enough to ask, Dad, where's the lamp? And I'm big enough to pick him up and tie the boy up and lay him on the altar. (laughs) And so when Abraham says, son, God will provide, you know his heart was just twisting inside him. It had to have been torturous for him. He knew God. He knew God by faith. He knew God's character. He knew that what God had told him to do was opposed to everything he knew about God. And yet he trusted God through the most severe trial in his life. He believed that God would make good on his promise to give him children through his son Isaac. God had promised that by word. In fact, Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only, there's that phrase again, one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. You see, I've, I've wrestled with what we call this story. We, we call it the sacrifice of Isaac. And I'm, I've always kind of, as, as a realist, uh, and, and, you know, Gen X or whatever, I, I've wrestled with that because he doesn't actually kill him. It's a near sacrifice. It's a, it's a near miss, right? There's a substitution that happens. But I've repented of that because he does sacrifice him, doesn't he? He lays him on the altar. He lets go. He gives him up. He sacrificed his son. Did he plunge the knife into his chest? No. God stopped him just the last moment. See, there's one more really important thing to see here in verses 16 through 18. Based on my study of this passage and others, this is the one place, this passage is the one place where all of God's covenant promises to Abraham come together and are affirmed simultaneously. God says, because you obeyed me, in other words, because your faith was shown to be a lifestyle orientation of belief in and dependence on and obedience to God, I will give you everything I've promised. And, and all the promises of God come together in this, to Abraham, come together in this one place. I, I, he says, I'm going to give you children. It's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Your, your, your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. What is that? That's the promise of the land the gift of land. And through you all nations will be blessed. What is that? That's Jesus. That's what we've just celebrated, the birth of Christ into the world for all mankind who died on the cross in our place for our sins. I want you to get this. You, Chapel Rock, on January 7th, 2024, you are the beneficiary of this promise. a sacrifice story. You remember the elderly couple I was telling you about? Desperate for a hotel room. Night clerk gives up his own. The hotel, even though it was not a fancy hotel, uh, had a little breakfast area. They served breakfast every morning. And so they were sitting there at breakfast. Uh, this couple was. had gotten up early and they, they called the waiter over. 
And um, they said, is the, is the night clerk still up? And he said, yeah, his shift is almost over here in like two minutes. And they said, we'd really like to speak with him. Um, when he's done, would you go get him? Sure, happy to. So a couple minutes go by, night clerk comes in. And, and they gestured to him at the, the table at their chair, and they invited him to sit down with them. And, you know, it's kind of this interesting moment, you know, kind of looking at each other, sizing each other up. And the clerk says, just, again, um, sir, ma'am, I, I, was everything okay last night? Was the room all right? It wasn't much. And, but, and they're like, it was great. It was fine. It was, it's, it was good. And, and the husband just kind of, he just gives him this stare, this piercing look, looks the guy right in the eyes. And he said, Son, you are too fine a hotel man to stay in a third-rate hotel in Philadelphia. How would you like for me to build a big, beautiful, luxurious hell hotel in New York City and make you the general manager? <laughs> Whoa, uh, didn't quite know what to do with that. Didn't really have a, a handle for that. And he thought these couple, probably, they're probably out of their mind, but, you know, he wanted to be polite, and he kind of stammered. He said, well, um, uh, sir, that would be wonderful. I would love that very much. Thank you. And the older gentleman said, good. That was the answer I wanted to hear. Let me introduce myself. My name is John Jacob Astor. You might have heard of the hotel he built in New York City. It's now called the Waldorf Astoria Hotel. And this young man was made the manager of that hotel and became to be known as one of the most famous hotel managers in the world, delivering world-class service for decades at this hotel, which has since been rebuilt and is like five times bigger now. The clerk gave up his bed for the night that he wasn't even going to use. And gained more than he ever could have imagined. Do you believe for one second that the character of our mighty God does not expand infinitely beyond this one dude in a hotel in Philadelphia in the 30s? Did you hear me today? Nobody understands sacrifice better than God and therefore nobody values it more than he does. Our Father in Heaven sacrificed the life of His Son, His only Son, whom He loved. Our Father in Heaven sent His Son on a three-day journey into death. Our Heavenly Father loaded the wood for the sacrifice on the back of His own Son and marched Him up a hill near Jerusalem. But for Jesus, there was no ram in the thicket. There was no substitution because He was our substitution. It should have been you on that cross. It should have been me on that cross. But it was the Son of our Father in Heaven. And three days later, he rose from the dead. He rose from the grave. And so when God says, will you trust me to value everything you've given up to be with me, you need to know that he is not asking you to do anything that he himself hasn't already done. As Paul said in Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things. And if you will trust God to value your sacrifices for him more than you ever can, you will benefit from his sacrifice for you more than you ever thought possible. If you've never made a decision to value that sacrifice, you've got an opportunity right now. 
In just a second, we're going to stand and sing together. And if you're ready to make a decision to follow Jesus, to give him your life, to be baptized, receive his spirit, to walk in discipleship, you can do that right now this morning. Water's warm, towels are dry, we're ready. Maybe today you're looking at the beginning of a new year and, and you're, you're evaluating, okay, what am I going to bring over from last year? How am I going to continue to step into this new season of life? And so maybe you want to have someone pray with you, pray for you, pray over you, I don't know, but to journey with you through this as you say, you know what, there are some things I need to let go of so that I can really embrace a life of following the Lord this year. And you might want to do that. We'd love to pray with you. You can go to the next step room. One of our leaders will be in there to visit with you. I'm going to ask you to stand with me and we're going to sing together. And you respond as God leads you today.